All right. Welcome again to another edition and another wonderful reading on American Negro Slave Revolts. Today, we'll be looking into chapter seven. And chapter seven is titled, Exaggeration, Distortion, and Censorship. Welcome everybody to today's stream on Chaos Rain channel. If you are new to the channel, you know, thank you for subscribing to Chaos Rain channel. And always, for those who want to subscribe to the channel, you can hit that notification button. There are three options on the notification button. Some of the options, depending on what you select, will depend how very much of notification you get when I go live on my channel. Also, please leave a comment to every video that's been done on Chaos Rain channel. Your thoughts, your feelings, good or bad. No criticism or anything that will be taken out of character or I won't find a problem. You can always leave your comment there. Also, as you come watching the stream for the first time, please hit the like button. Um, and also, um, everything else that will pertain to further readings, you know, you can always leave a comment at the end of this video. And also, you can follow me on Twitter at ChaosRain7. And usually, um, I do put some links to streams, broadcasts, and stuff. Um, I'll probably be, will be more active with Twitter as time progresses. Um, and as I wait for other people to really get comfortable and see that the channel is live. Um, one thing I want people to understand and take seriously. Um, when I do these videos and streams, it's to better educate more than inform on the average. Because... With all the information that's out here, we're not being very much pertinent to the real history of, I would say, black people or ADOS people in this country. And we're telling a lot of half truths. And one of the few things that I always proven myself why we are telling half truths, as, as you could tell by the movies that are depicted about African people. Adios people, African-American people, or black people that's been here in this country since its inception and built this country. Movies like the Harriet, Tub the Harriet Tubman movie. As you could tell, the depictions of her life, Mama Harriet Tubman, are not only true, but it's pushing a narrative of emasculation of the black male. Make him seem more effeminate, soft, or be more that aggressive towards his own women and his people. Quote unquote, making him the bad guy. Women and his people. So, me saying this that um, this is what happens when you don't tell your own history from your own perspective. There was a doc, there was actually a memo or an interview done by Harry Tubman, which I believe there's a book on it from her mouth of her own struggle in this pace or race for freedom. Not only for herself, for, but for her brothers and sisters here in America. And 
I'm not sure how far the movie went in in regards to that because, I, like I said, I always question once they put movies out on black people, uh, how much sincerity and truth they can put into pe- our people and not create a false propaganda and push agenda to show us as lesser than. I question that. And from what I'm hearing from people that saw the movie, it's telling. And it proves my point. The importance that we have to tell our own history from our own perspective. Either we have to make videos like this, streams like this, or it's going to come to a point where we're going to have to fund our own movies and make and tell our story, our true story from our own mouths. That's the only way I see any real sincerity about black people in the world and what we have done and contribute to this world and how we fought against oppression and still is fighting to today. So, like always, at the end of the day, keep in mind that if you're going to be placed to watch anything that deals with us, always keep in mind if it's not funded by us, we don't have our studios, or we tell our story from our perspective, with our own money and capital, you're going to get a watered version and a much more effeminized version of our real history. Keep that in mind. So, let's begin. This is chapter 7. Exaggerations, distortions, and censorship. The unearthly of the history of Negro slave rebellions is particularly subject to difficulties arising from exaggeration, distortion, and censorship. Evidence show that the character and the scope of these difficulties is therefore necessary to an understanding of that history. It has already been shown that in the in the 1790s or 1790, federalism made use of fear of slave revolts. What they call federistics. <laughs> or reports of their occurrence to further their parties, fortunes, similarities, and the Gabriel plot occurring in the presidential campaign year of 1800 and showing that the slave had been influenced by the democratic ideal associated with the French Revolution and Thomas Jefferson was used by the Federalists in appealing to Southern voters, thus the Philadelphia um, Gazian of the United States on September 13th declared, and this is what they say, the insurrection of the Negro in the Southern free of general from danger. He has met it and when occasion requires, he will meet it with fitness in his most heard form. We congratulate our fellow citizens of South Carolina on the possession of the Galientin soldiers or Galientin soldiers. At this important crisis to him, they may look with or confidence for every aid which encourage and talent can supply. Or courage town spy. 
own satisfactions that the scheme was organized on the British and not the French plan. It arrived at this mainly by saying that the Alien Act kept whites out of the South, which made possible a Negro conspiracies, and that that the act was passed because the British wanted to hold the Irish at home. At about the same time, Federalistic newspapers published letters purportedly from South Carolina telling of great alarms there in consequence of a rebellion com comprising, according to varying estimates, anywhere from 700 to 6,000 Negroes. And these, according to the Republican press, were forgeries and the entire story was labeled wholly false that appear to be the fact for nothing has been founded to substantiate the story told in considerable detail of rebellions in South Carolina in 1800s. And there's an underline here, which is the, I think the Philadelphia Press. Hello. And it says here, on the other hand, a Federalistic members of the Virginia House of Delegation, George Keith Taylor, argued in favor of the alien measures in December of 1798 for that he claims that the alien laws was particularly calculated for the protection of the southern states because French aliens had already attempted to incite the slaves to insurrection. This is by Henry H. Sims, Life of John Taylor, page 79. William Cobet, at the moment an arch conservative or conservative, was persuaded that part of the French plan to revolutionize the world dependent upon the United Irishmen in conjunction with free Negro slaves and Jacobian slaveholders, and the conviction was announced to the world May 1798, but with particular restraints, Mr. Copa added, I do not take it upon me to say that these preparatory steps have been taken. And this is by Precopian Works, the 8th, pages 199, 224, and 225. Or 25. And see the letter from William Van Murray and John Quincy Adams date the Hags, December 9, 1800. Reports that the news in recent received American papers and W.C. Ford edit letter of William Van Murray to John Quincy Adams, 1797 through 1803, annual report of the American Historical Association for 1912, page 663. And here to answer Mercury, October 16, 1800. The only item possible hinting at the terrible of the ordinance passed in July of 1800 by the city of Charleston required all hired slaves to wear an identified a badge and the master of the herd slave to pay a free of $10 a year. If the slaves were discovered without the tag, he was to be whipped and his master was to be fired $10. Charleston City Gazanian, July 18, 1800. Okay. And that's just a side note. Let's continue with the stream.
A similar favor pervades a letter sent from Charleston by a native of Massachusetts to friend in Salem in 1808. When the section of political feelings was quite intense, wrote the Federalistics. The Federalistics, yeah. I am quite tired of this Jacobilical place. <laughs> they talk a great deal about hanging and driving poor devils fit only for slave drivers. The people of Massachusetts into Novia Scata or Scati, they talk big of patriotism and the right of man, etc. In this region of slavery, there has not been a might this week without alarm of fires and murders. And the panic has become so great, they were last night obligated to order three detachments of inf inferiority and part of the horse from several companies to guard the city. And should the embargo continue another year, I believe that the poor will stir up such commotions that they will find the whole militant instead of detachment necessary for those purposes. I can only say, God of his infinite mercy grant that my dear native Massachusetts man may always be a unlike as possible this country as Jacobianism and slavery. This letter arose discussing protests and agitation, but the significant remarks about servile unrest were not deemed or denied. Yet, in the absence of other confirmatory evidence, it is dangerous to accept the statement from the prejudice correspondence at its face value. Again, in 1800, a Federalist newspaper and the Philadelphia Gazette, or Gazette reports a slave rebellion in the neighborhood of Richmond, Virginia, giving the name of the victims and several families, and stating that the uprising had been suppressed by militants. A Boston paper of the same leaning, the, um, the Colombian, I think, Cartelian, reference to this report, but admitted that papers and letters from Richmond were entirely silent on the event. The Republican general advisor, Anoral of Philadelphia, however, denied it to, to the story and said the members of the families concerning were amazed to learn prematurely of their death. For what purpose such a rumor? was circling that we cannot conceive at least any honest or useful purpose. In this case, however, there does exist proof which will appear later of the ex existence of a slave conspiracy in Virginia at the time, though the accounts of an actual outbreak seem to have had no bias in fact. It has been shown that distortion and exaggeration for political 
motives play a part in the panic over the existence of slave conspiracies of 1856 and 1860, both coming in years of terrified excitement, the latter in the months just preceding and following a presidential election whose results was touched off a counter-revolutionary efforts on the part of the slave or the slave crazy. The sensational accounts of amazing qualities of poison being found among Texas slaves and of the total destruction by incendiaries of towns around town in the same state are particularly questionable, though the results in swinging black bodies is certain. It is not denied that conspiracies outbreaks did occur, but it is affirmed as well as affirmed by anti-sessional papers and anti-sessional leaders like General Sam Houston himself and even by an occasional Breckbridge paper that often those that did occur were grossly exaggerated and that probably some were created out of the holy clothing in order by massive hysteria and to forge unity around the southern extremistness and to attach the stigmas of midnight assassinating to all opponents of that critique. Other motives other than that the political advantage occasionally led to false alarms in some cases monetary gain seems to have been sought by people anxious to buy slaves at reduced price that immediately follow considerable alarms. Another alleged motive appeared in a letter from a member of the Virginia Senate, John James Maudin, to Colonel Robert Carter, dated Richmond, November 9th, 1793, and he quotes and says, you must, I doubt not, sir, have heard of the fancy Negro insurrections of which so much has been said in Virginia. They originated in the mind of the worst of men for the worst of proposed, namely that of arresting the Gentile arm and humanity, which either is or may be unstricted for the relief of the slave, and with a design of pre occurring a repeal of the laws authorizing their manualism or manumission, but in this they will fail, as I know of no more virtuous bodies of men in the world than that of which I had the happiness to be member and whose opinions I well known on the subject. Reprehensible Motives of an unspecific nature were held responsible by a North Carolina newspaper for the fractal occurrence in that state in 1802, following the discovery of a serious plot. The rumor spread in Windsor that the town of Winton had been demolished by slaves, and at the same time, the folks of Winton heard the same story about Windsor. Each town sent a messenger to the other to learn the exact extent of the damage. 
and that the courtiers met on the road to learn that truth. I said the Rig Wrigley registers of July 6th. Auto, a vigilante on all occasions, is truly liable and praiseworthy, yet it would be highly commendable to trace the author of such false reports. And then the subtitle, which you can read it for yourself. And several punish those who from base and unprincipled motives should dare to invent them. Misery indeed surrounds the reason for the invitation of a report of rebellions among slaves in Nashville, Tennessee of 1836. A letter written on the Statutory of the business firm J and R Yeatman and Company of that city and mailed to Philadelphia told in stirring detail of burning buildings, rebellion slaves, and fleeing masters. Though nothing of the kind occurred and the letter was proven to be a hoax. A South Carolina lady, however, who rise and cry or raise in the cry. And the Negroes have risen, we shall all be killed, and create much commotions. Had a plain motive, a friend of her, and with her knowledge and consent, shot and killed her husband. The dear lady, after the event, ascribed it to a slave revolt, and even named a significant Negro as the one responsible for her spouse's demise. But, but the court acquitted Eden and found Mrs. Green guilty of being an accessory before the fact. Fear itself, of course, created exaggeration so that the figures concerning the number of rebellions or victims given in first reports were usually greater than those finally given. Indeed, at times, entire communities were reported as wiped out, and days went by before the rumors were shown to the to be false. This was the case, for example, in the story of destruction of Wilmington, North Carolina, following the Tanner or the Nat Turner outbreak, which really says Turner outbreak. With the exception note above, however, it was a price of the ruler of the South to censor news of slave unrest. Specific omissions and evidence of this are numerous and will appear in the course of the narrative. Some instance may be present here in order to show the problem facing the investigators. And the editor of the influential Richmond Inquiry from examples had promised at first to carry a full account of the slave upheeling, shaking the West Indies coinciding with the French revolutionaries or coinciding with the French revolutionists and to print the proclamation and statements of the Negro leaders. And that's quoted here. A brief experience reveals, however, that such a promise was not in harmony with the feeling and sentiment of Virginia, which had already decided upon a policy a studied silence upon the subjects of Negroes and Negro 
slaves or Negro slavery. According to his promise, were never kept and may be expressed and the wishes that no one would demand the reason. Again and again. <laughs> A Charleston paper in reports that argument of State Senator Bradenwell against reopening the slave trade in 1803 stated that these include the assertions that it would lower the price of cotton and of slaves. Moreover, the Han members induced in support of his opinion various other arguments. And there's a subtitle here which you can read for yourself. Still more conscience and impressiveness or impressive which from reason very obvious we decline making public. As Philip stated, it may be submersed that the surprise remarks dealt with the danger of slave revolts. James Monroe, governor of Virginia during the Gabriel conspiracy in the summer of 1800, told the Speaker of the General Assembly in detail his precautionary measures that during the first 24 hours he had endeavored to give the affairs as little importance as the measure necessary for defendants would permit, and that he had hoped it would even pass unnoticed by the committee. The extent of the plot, and particularly the fact that rebel leaders were not immediately captured, made the desired secrecy impossible. The governor of Mississippi Territory, William C.C. Claiborne, while informing the leading planter of this uh, monumentous event in Virginia and urged the adoption of specific precautionary measures, did not fail to advise them against discussions of occurrence. He strongly averted to, and this is his quote, the impolicies of unnecessarily alarming them, the slaves, but information upon a subject which mold and wise treatments may happily long kept from their views and wishes. Violent assaults upon the overseer of Mr. Lebon and Mr. or Mr. Monroe slaves and the severely wounded ones or both, I believe, may be judicially urged as a motive for the extraordinary or extraordinary correspondence or circumstances in the present moments and no complete enforce of the law against the slave retaining any kind of weapon. A North Carolinian who had been informed of this plot by a private source wrote to his brother three weeks after the, the day of discovery of his discovery thou nothing of this has transpired in the papers it comes in a way that cannot be doubted the charleston press noticed the event but once eight weeks after its occurrence and that was for the purpose of recording in about 
75 words, the exec execution of several of the rebellion never mentioned that Negroes were the subject of the story. A Norfolk, Virginia newspaper finally broke its silence concerning a slave conspiracy within its own borders after as it stated its uh, ramification had been disclosed and the leaders punished. And while it accounts of unrest in North Carolina at about the same time was more full since the scheme of the action was more distant, even here, one note sentence like the particular we are constraining to observe must be withheld for the presence for motives of precaution. It may not, however, be inappropriate to remark that too much vigilance cannot be used in our own neighborhoods. Censorship even reached government bodies as, for example, when the Virginia Council of December 20th, 1808 advised the governor, John Tyler, against informing the legislator, even in closed sessions, of a current slave conspiracy since he had already ordered the adoption of precautionary measures, a secret session of the legislature conveyed for the purpose of imparting such alarming news would probably increase the spirit of insurrection among the slaves, and council advice was followed. And in 1830, however, the North Carolina legislature was secretly conveyed in order to devise means of subduing the dangerous disaffection of the Negro population. This, according to one contemporary, plus the fact that the newspaper afford no clue as to the truth of the matter, tending to heighten uh, rather than allaying the fear of public which had vague foreboding of uh, trouble over which the broad but no clear knowledge of the state of affairs. In this case, greater pub publicity was advised by the time honored by technique of secrecy was followed. In any number of cases, one finds admission from Southern newspapers that their courage of this feature of current events was something other than complete, even if the matters were not of logic origin. Once seen such a word of phrase as we discuss to allude, we have refrained, we forbear or forbid talking particularly notice of our discussions of the dialect uh, subject. As already noticed, even those hinted were sometimes absent and there was complete silence so far as present of the region was concerned. Thus, one must depend frequently upon government archives personal letters, sometimes published in distant newspapers, journals, diaries, and courts records in an attempt to piece together the story. Typically is the diary entry of Edmund Ruffening under dates of September 5th, 1860, Mr. Ruffering, while on the train, e route from 
Louisville of Franksford, Kentucky, struck up a conversation. Skipper in the Montgomery, Alabama mail talks turns as it inevitable did to the slave and very little said either of statements or comments of the abolitionists and incendiaries doing in the South. Here follows a short clipping from the Pittsburgh, Virginia Express on current plots. Mr. Hooper tells me that like discoveries have been made in different parts of Alabama and that the Inflammatory inhabitants or inhabitants have in sundry case execute summaries, vagueness, or justice, if not mistaken, on the detect culprits, white and black. And during the Civil War, as one would expect it, as of the authorities has written, the Confederate government tends to suppress and minimize reports of misconduct and insubordination among the slave population. Any inking of what concretely or concretely that means may be gained from the letter of a lady in Charleston, South Carolina, date November 23, 1861. This declares that the greatest fear of the inhabitants was of slave rebellions. No general insurrection has taken place through several revolts have been attempted. Two quite recently, and in these cases, whole families were murdered before the slave were subdued. Then came retaliation of the most fearful characters. This news is suppressed as far as possible and kept entirely from papers for the Negroes. And here what is published, if they do not read it and suggest examples, might produce disastrous consequence. Faced with these difficulties and uncertainties, the present writers have attempted to exercise caution in handling reports of conspiracies and rebellion. An attempt but also been made of make the coverage of the subject of intense and ex extensive as possible for it was observed early in the course of the investigation that permits material appearing in the most unexpected and widely scattered sources. Yet it is highly probable that all plots and quite possibly even all actual outbreaks that did occur and that are somewhere on record have not been uncovered. And the subject of is of such a matter that it appears almost certain that some per, perhaps many occur and were never re recorded. The narration that follows is not then offered as definite in the sense of being complete and subject to no elaboration. An additional but an attempt has been made to make it as full and as accurate as the subject appears to permit. And that concludes chapter 7. And my take into all this, where it talks about exaggeration and censorship, the purpose of, of the censorship during them times that they do tell you and what they don't tell you is that fear. Because 
once people, Europeans in America during that time and now, fear of the insurrection coming from the Negro population, which was pretty, um, was actually growing. I don't know if it was bigger or small during that time in America back in the 1800s till now. But the fear was there. And to let the news know that that there were outbreaks that occur around their towns and stuff would not only bring that sense of fear, but also it will inform those same Negroes that are, were able to read will know said that there was certain things that was stirring in their environment, especially the towns they were in while certain um, rebellions or wherever insurrections occur. So, to to really wrap up, to people to understand that censorship is part of any government or American society to um to have. Even now, you look at governments will suppress even information now of what is the real plot going on here now, and they do this not just to protect. American citizens, but they do that in in tie just to keep information suppressed. So if people think that it's censorship, good or bad, that depends, and it depends on the environment you're in. And we all know that if you're not really astute of your environment, that you don't know what really is going on. And the clear history of American Negro slave revolts during that time. The government did take very much into effect of censorship to a lot of information that was going on between the the master and the slave. Because just by the fear notion that these slaves were revolting is already problematic already before leading up to the Civil War. And even after the Civil War. And a lot of slaves that couldn't read and some that read took full advantage of that. To possibly network with those slaves that either survive or know what really was going on. At the end of the day, censorship during that time was important, was needed for both sides. And as you know, it still plays even in the world we live in today. So I'd like to thank everybody for listening to today's stream. Um, always, you know, go back to recording if you missed this. Please comment, subscribe, and like the video. And like always, you know, thank you for listening. And be on the lookout for the next chapter. Until next time, take care.